Hi, this is Mike Palmer. You're about to listen to a conversation I had with Dr. Pat Oker, who is the president of New College of Florida, which also happens to be my alma mater. Recorded this conversation with Pat back in December. Since then, New College has become the center of attention on the political front. This conversation, I think, does justice to what New College is, what it's been, and what I hope it will continue to be. I want to thank Dr. Oker for her time and really appreciate the folks who continue to try to make a difference in the lives of their students and in the lives of those who still hold New College very close to their hearts. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. Really excited today to have the president of my alma mater, New College of Florida, here with me, Dr. Patricia Oker. Welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you so much. I love talking to New College alumni, and I'm really happy to be here this afternoon. I was mentioning to you, I don't know if I play up my New College roots as much as I could. I've had quite a few folks from New College on the show over the years, but I haven't necessarily talked about the college itself, which is unique and was very formative to me in a lot of ways. And I think it's part of why I've stayed in education in my career really ever since. We're going to talk a lot about new college and a lot of the challenges you're facing, opportunities. We'll talk about that in a bit. But to get started, we always like to get to know our guests, what your background, how you got to this point in your career. Can you catch us up on what got you to this point in your professional life? Real short version, born and raised in New Jersey. I was a reader my whole life, went to college expecting to be a science major, found English along the way, ended up in graduate school, got a PhD in English and focused on the 19th century American literature, took my first job as a faculty member at University of Missouri there. I just went through 30 years like that. I spent 31 years at the University of Missouri in a variety, first faculty roles and then in leadership roles. The last five years I spent as Dean of the College of Arts and Science at the University of Missouri, which is in Columbia, Missouri, a very large institution, very unlike New College. Yeah. And then 18 months ago, I was offered the position to be president of New College, and I am thrilled to be here. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that was very condensed. So thank you for hitting your marks. I appreciate that. And then New College is, to your point, it's very small and a lot of people don't know about it. Can you catch folks up a little bit on? what New College is, and then maybe describe a little bit of the role you came into. Absolutely. It's a very special place in so many ways. So it is a small, just under 700 students right now. It's the Public Honors College. We are one of the 12 universities in the state university system here in Florida. And so we have an absolute commitment to academic excellence. We have a fascinating history founded in 1960. And there's been a longstanding commitment to innovation in education and a real focus on thinking differently about how humans learn, really, is how I would describe it. We can talk in more detail about some of the key core features of our curriculum, but it's very much student direct. It focuses on student curiosity. We can talk about active versus passive learning, certainly. And it has some unique features. One of the things that people often ask me is students here receive narrative evaluations instead of grades. And there's a reason why that. It's not just to do things differently. There's a real reason for it. But what I like to describe is the focus here is helping students learn to learn. 
Yeah. To me, someone who was there in the late 80s, early 90s, again, betraying my age a little bit, it was, it was a while back, but it was very much still that spirit of independent. The student ultimately is responsible for his or her own education. Ultimately, it culminates in writing a thesis, defending a thesis. In a lot of ways, I've heard it compared to what graduate school is like, except you're experiencing it more as an undergraduate. There's a lot of really interesting elements. There's independent study programs. It's definitely worth some exploration, particularly if you have someone who's very thoughtful about their educational journey and they want to explore all their options, particularly if they're in Florida, but also I came to New College from Long Island, New York. It's a really fascinating experience to be there. Small student-faculty ratio, you know, you really do get to know your professors more on like a first-name basis. That's all the history of New College, which is relatively short. It's fascinating. But the other thing that's fascinating is like, how does that then plug into this rapidly changing world of work and disruption and all of the chaos that we're seeing there? A lot of the things that we wind up talking about on this show. I'd love to start maybe with some top level thinking from you in terms of when someone graduates from New College, how are you thinking about the world they enter into and how New College is preparing them for that world? I could talk for hours and hours, I won't, but I, I could on the role of a liberal arts education in preparing for careers with impact, whatever that might be. And our students go on to do all kinds of things. So you mentioned the small classes here at New College. And yes, our students really know their faculty members. But let's be honest, there are plenty of small colleges in the United States. So I don't think of the small classes as the key feature that distinguishes New College from other places, mm -hmm. from other small colleges, because there's plenty of opportunities. So I do think small classes encourage students to be more active. You can't sit in the back and hide in a small class. You have to constantly be participating. So that's an important feature, but it's not the most important thing. And again, I hope we have a chance to talk about some of the features of the curriculum. Yeah. But you mentioned about work. So one of the things I'm really proud of and actually which attracted me to apply to the position here at New College was that New College had really begun a process of thinking very differently about how to integrate career education and academics. The old model, I went to a small liberal arts college and the old model of career education is that the career center is separate from your academics. It's what I call the good luck model. I don't know if I ever visited the career center to be perfectly honest. I certainly don't remember faculty and I had fantastic teachers. Mm -hmm. But back when I went to school a long time ago, nobody was talking to me about what I could do with an English degree or a mm -hmm. geology degree, which was mm -hmm. one of the degrees I considered for a time. Mm -hmm. And so what we do here is very different at New College. So we know we are preparing students to make a difference in the world, to have impact. And so we start the integration of career and academic education right from the very beginning. Students get paired with a career coach before they even arrive on campus. We have a four-year curriculum of expectations. Our hope is that 100% of our students will have an internship before they graduate. And our faculty are increasingly going through faculty development programs of learning how to integrate discussion about career options, thinking and being mindful and attentive to career competencies of talking about them in the classroom. That's a transformative experience for students to be able to articulate the skills that they're developing. And I've been doing this work about integrating liberal arts and career education for 20 years. 
Mm-hmm. But frankly, it's a hard sell at many places because people don't really see those connections. But it's so exciting what's happening here at New College about integrating those things. And the things I mentioned about internships and the coursework, that's just a few of the places. There's also this tremendous focus on community-based learning. So our students wrestle with Hmm. big problems because they're going to do that when they get jobs. And so we have students where like literally on Sarasota Bay in Sarasota, Florida, I can see the water from right here. So our students are out in the bay testing water quality, studying red tide. They're tagging sharks in Manatee River. They're working in downtown Bradenton on urban renewal projects. We have a curriculum that gives students the opportunities to tackle big problems that prepares them for a complex world of work. It's really interesting to me because when I went to New College way back in the day, I'm old enough that I can now call it back in the day, there was less of a connection to your career and there was a little more of that sense of you're just going to have to figure this out. And we did. And we all got to where we got to. I wound up thinking about the missed opportunities had folks been exposed to those pathways sooner. And then the related point is when you can connect more of the academic curriculum to tangible contributions back to the local community that starts to address the relevance problem and the issue of mission, vision, passion, which is very much front and center when folks are thinking about delivering higher ed experiences to the rising generations. I'd love to hear a little bit of your perspective on engaging with Generation Z and trying to understand how to equip that population who at least the public perception is they're certainly mission focused and they want to understand how to do that relevant work and contribute back to their community. So I confess, I certainly recognize that there are differences about mission, but I'm a little less taken by the very strong arguments that different generations are fundamentally different. When I look back at young people in the 1960s and 70s, they were pretty mission-driven. I remember young people filled with passion about big ideas and making a difference in the world. Again, there's differences. Slang has changed tremendously. Technology has changed. Yeah. But for me, and maybe that makes me really sound like the boomer that I am, and so I'll just call it what it is. So I do see differences. But, you know, sometimes people talk about young people of that generation right now being frustrated with the lack of progress. And I'm thinking, I don't know how that sounds all that different from when I was 18 and yeah. I was 15 and people were turning on the news and seen some pretty horrific things in the news. Yeah, I see more parallels. And again, I'm not trying to say everybody's like me in that way, but, sure. but I do see passion, commitment, and I've been in higher ed long enough that I've seen that in every generation of students that I've seen. I do. And there are differences to be sure, but I see more continuity. Yeah. There's a great book out. It's called The Generation Myth by Bobby Duffy. And it, it's kind of talking about what you're describing where, you know, it, he talks more about the life cycle, cohort, and period effects where you're at a certain point in your life, it is at a certain period in the the broader world around us, and then you're also likely coming of age, engaging with life crises and stages with a cohort, with a subgroup. And it's important to really understand all those things to be able to fully connect with the complexity of all of us. Like it's not just your age and it's all these different things, but in terms of the future of work and in terms of designing work pathways and career opportunities, 
it does feel like there has been an awakening in the last few years, in particular in light of the pandemic, that if you don't connect to some sense of purpose, mission, making an impact in your life, you're more likely to disengage. You're more likely to have challenges throughout your life. You may not ultimately be as happy or professionally successful. Any thoughts on that? It does seem to connect directly to what you're describing, where if we can help liberal arts students understand positive trajectories into a professional life, it can give them that sense of connection and purpose and drive that really can power a successful career, a successful life. Yeah, I want to make two points about that. One is, well, I just made a case for I'm not a huge fan of these very sharp delineations about these fundamental differences of generations. I would make a very strong case about a fundamental shift in the world of work from when I graduated college. Right. There's no naivete on my part about that. And I'm not talking simply about, you know, remote work. Like that's a small piece of it. It is expectations about balance and the intersection of work and life and ways in which I think about my parents' generation, for instance, and the expectation is you do whatever your boss tells you because your family depends upon it. Right. And questioning that culture of, no, it's not worth it. I'm not going to do that. And I give all credit to, I think that's a really powerful shift. I have great respect for my parents, incredibly hardworking, my grandparents, incredibly hardworking people. But there were fewer options of imagining alternatives. And I appreciate the change in culture in terms of work of, no, it is employer's job to make the workplace a meaningful place. And mm. I think that's a really positive shift. So that's fundamentally different. What we know nationally about the data is that students who graduate with degrees in liberal arts do well 10 years out. In comparison, you know, getting established, getting a meaningful career Liberal arts is a durable degree and you can do very well and you can do a lot. But there's also an initial period which can be tough for many students with degrees where they're not quite sure, they haven't figured things out. And some of that wandering can be a healthy a time of exploration. It can also be a time of stress and anxiety and it doesn't work for everybody. And so we're kind of having this mythic version of, well, I'm going to go find myself. That that can be a lonely, scary place without good health care. And yeah. I don't want to romanticize that. And so one of the goals I think that when I talk to prospective students and their families is like, why not do some of that exploration while you're still in college? Mm -hmm. Like you can figure out, you can do an internship and think you're going to want to do something. You try it out and you hate it. No harm done. You learned a lot. Go on and do something else. If you wait until you graduate, you get a job, then you might have a period of unemployment. And again, any time that you're without a support structure like that, it's not very good on wellness. Yeah. And so I want to encourage some of that career exploration of preload it before graduation and integrate that with the kind of exploration that students are doing academically. I don't see why we can't do them at the same time. Yeah. Rather than separating these things, why can't you both get the liberal arts education, but also understand at the same time, some of the harder technical skills where yes. as much as we're talking about the durable skills, we're also trying to understand skills and competencies like data science. We did 
talk to Aaron Hillegas, who's heading up the data science master's program at New College, which is another innovation that's related to the same idea where a lot of what's happening in data science is you need to pair more of some domain knowledge, some other competencies beyond the pure data science capability. If you're a consultant, you're ultimately going to need to develop a deeper knowledge of environmental sciences or education or whatever the partner is that you're working with to really be able to apply the harder technical skills to make a difference. Increasingly, I think we're entering an age where we need to expect more out of the liberal arts education than maybe we have in the past. How are faculty dealing with that? How are folks who have to evolve their delivery and maybe concede some things? How's that side of the conversation going? There's always a healthy debate about that. New College has some advantages because we're small. We don't really have any choice but to be interdisciplinary. It's funny, I came from a large research university. You can live in your silo of chemistry and you never even have to leave the building and never see anybody else. And at New College, whatever discipline you are in, you're going to meet students and you're going to have students in your classes from other disciplines. And precisely to your point, that's enormously helpful out in the workplace, that sense of collaborations. That's largely how teams work, right? Mm -hmm. Name an industry and there's interdisciplinary teams, whether it's the communication person with the technical person all working together. Students at New College really do have opportunities to just work that muscle over and over again of working in interdisciplinary teams. So I do think we have advantages, but I'll also be honest, there are some faculty who, and rightly so, say, you know, I'm an artist. How am I supposed to teach students about careers if I'm a painter and I'm, this is just a hypothetical or, yeah. or I'm a creative writer or and you could fill in the blank of any. I'm not picking on the arts and humanities. And I do know that I see it's one of the things that I'd like in terms of the future of new college is providing more students, more opportunities to combine those skills. So we're looking at things like micro credentials. An artist, for instance, I would argue an artist might want to take some classes in basic accounting. Mm. A a lot of artists open up studios and realize they have to run a business and they say, I don't know anything about basic accounting in, in terms of just like managing a business. So fundamentals of business. So I'm not saying we have all of those pieces in play here, but we do have opportunities for students already, some of them of learning and practicing skills in entrepreneurship and developing pathways for things outside of this particular thing that they're studying. So if you add on other opportunities, which we can do in a community like Sarasota, which is one of the most vibrant communities, we're not a liberal arts college isolated in the middle of nowhere. We really have this incredible community of business, art, nonprofit, environmental, scientific groups right here within 10 miles of us. Lots of opportunities for students to develop those additional skills and competencies that will help them flourish when they enter the world of work. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very true to the academic traditions of independent study and project-based work. Frequently, you're doing independent study projects as part of your undergraduate curriculum, and then that culminates in your thesis, which again, you're making something Best case, it is something that's connected back to the world. Really interesting program. Definitely worth checking out for folks. And I know you're now in the midst of a 
reimagining, re-envisioning of New College. How are you thinking about some of the challenges that New College faces and some of the new thinking? There's a new challenge, in fact, that you're undertaking in New College. Can you share a little bit of that with our listeners? Absolutely. So last April, I launched a new initiative called the New College Challenge. And the basic principle of it is I wanted to have it is both a planning and an action process. It's going to take about 18 months overall in which we're going to develop big ideas to activate our campus to make sure that our campus is supporting the big ideas that our students are coming up with. You know, we've been talking about changes in the world of work. So we know that the world that our students are going out has changed. We know that the pressures to support wellness have changed. What do we need to do to make sure we have the campus, the spaces and places that, as I call them, that are supporting that and providing that vision? We're on this a beautiful Bayfront campus, but not all areas of our campus are fully activated. I'm using a term that a scholar who came to visit us used about how can we activate some of our spaces to promote the vision that we have for what our students are doing. And so we've invited design teams. We don't have an architecture school here at New College. We don't have to do it just the way everybody else does it. We're just not bound by that. And I love that about New College. And one of the things that occurs to me is the kind of traditional way of doing a master plan like that is you hire a firm, they come up with an idea, they tell you what to do, and they listen to you. But I relatively early on in my presidency, I was introduced to this idea of a challenge. It's modeled after a challenge that was done in Nantucket. And they actually invited design teams from other universities. So we've launched this. And We have design teams from six different universities, and they're going to come to our campus and the students in those classes, both undergraduate and graduate, depending on the university. We are the subject matter. They're going to study new college. They're going to generate big ideas. We're not going to do everything they come up with. We know that. But we're going to have a very open, really generate ideas of what can we do. And we've given them different projects of things that were like, what are we going to do about this? And so they're coming up with big ideas. And what I love about it is New College is a place that is absolutely committed to the power of the academic process, right? Students ask big questions. They come here and they love what they study. They have intrinsic motivation. They're not motivated by getting an A because they don't get A's. They just want to learn. And so we believe that you can solve problems. Like we believe in the academic, a really active learning. So why should we not use that same power of the process of questioning and discovery when we think about our own physical campus? Why don't we always farm that out? But granted, I don't want a bunch of like mathematicians coming up with a plan for storm surge. I need people who know how to study that sort of thing. Yeah, you you see my point. So we're choosing design teams and studio teams who study this and have the expertise. And then they're going to come and interact with our students and our faculty. Ultimately, it's on us to decide what we're going to do. But why not get a whole bunch of big ideas interesting ideas, some of which we will love and some of which we say, "Eh, it's not going to work here. There's no harm in that. And another thing I'll just say about new colleges, it is a place where students can take intellectual risks. Mm -hmm. If you're not terrified that you're going to get a B plus and you won't get into med school, you can be a chemistry student who's willing to take a dance class. Mm -hmm. There's no harm done. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? It's okay. We actually encourage our students to take intellectual risks. Try something big. We should do the same thing when we're planning for our future. Yeah, and it's definitely something 
that got my wheels turning. It's something we're going to want to continue to track as part of this show. If folks are interested, check out ncf.edu. There's a lot of information about the challenge and about the work that Pat and team are doing. The other thing that we wanted to touch on is the future of higher education just in general. It's something that we do look for trends and you're someone who's now experienced it both in Missouri in a bunch of different roles over there. And now you're coming to a smaller college. Are there trends out there in the world around you that you're noticing that you think should be on someone who's playing with their head ups radar? Like what do you see emerging in higher education that you think is important to pay attention to? Hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic. So maybe for the rest of the 2020s, are there any big ideas, bigger trends that are capturing your imagination? Yeah, so I think the whole issue about cost and affordability, it's not like this is a brand new topic, but for small liberal arts colleges, most of the top national liberal arts colleges, the vast majority are private. They can cost over $80,000 a year. And even with scholarship, I mean, that, that is... That's not a sustainable model for small residential liberal arts colleges. And I'm just talking about that one sector, but mm. it's an important sector to me. And it serves students and it serves our states in terms of producing leaders who can be leaders and problem solvers in, in innovative ways. So I think continue of changing how we think about the financial model for college. It's not sustainable and the pressures are real. I'm mm. glad to be at a public institution. And we got to do our place of, of making sure that higher education is affordable. And you saw all kinds of ways, whether it's, you know, the presidential actions about student loans and student debt, but we fundamentally have to change our models of, in my opinion, we really got to take that seriously. The other thing that I'm increasingly talking about is reclaiming the space of colleges as models of places for respectful discourse. So that is something where people who have been in, involved in colleges and universities would often claim like that, well, we have debate, mm -hmm. but people are really questioning whether we're true to that standard. And I think it is time for colleges and universities to really step up and say, what are we doing to ensure that our students from all different kinds of backgrounds have opportunities to learn from one another and that's a big topic that I think has not been talked about enough. I'll be mm -hmm. honest. We mm -hmm. have to claim that space of ensuring that students learn from one another. And I'm not just talking about, you know, Republican or Democrats, but deeply learning from people with whom you might disagree on some fundamental issues. Yeah. And then what types of skills, getting back to the durable skills, what's needed to facilitate that. And to, I still remember, I think it was Mr. Rogers, you know, look for the helpers, the people who are there trying to fix things, respond after a crisis and come in with the more human social competencies, social graces that are necessary to ideally get us out of some of our sticky wicket with politicization, polarization, a lot of the challenges that we face there. I also know you face challenges around the climate down there and around emergencies, mm. around hurricanes. And fortunately, you, you were somewhat spared. But any advice for folks, lessons in leadership that you've had around managing through crisis? It does seem like, for whatever reason, a state of crisis, a state of disruption may become a little bit more of a new normal and leading through those challenges, I imagine, is serious work. So. How do you cope? Do you have any advice for others who might be thinking about taking on more leadership roles, whether it's in higher education or elsewhere? 
plan, 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 prepare, 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 and know that whatever happens is not going to be the thing you prepared for. But it doesn't matter because those skills are transferable. It is ongoing work. You you know, the day after storm is the day you start planning for how do we improve. And it doesn't matter how good you are. We learned a lot from Hurricane Ian. We'll get better about some things. Absolutely. I hope we get better about a lot of things. I'll probably say that about every single storm I experience because it's always opportunities for improving. But it's not just storms, right? So Hurricane Ian was the reminder for us about the threat of here being a coastal campus. But there are disruptions of all sorts on college campuses. I've been involved with a few of them along my career. And so you have to be ready and thinking about basic principles to crisis communication, but it's a lot of training, a lot of practice, and it's very easy to put that off because there's some immediate thing that needs to be attended to. Mm -hmm. But that moment that crisis happens, whatever it would be, none of that is wasted. And so one of the things I do, and my team will confirm this, is I'm often talking and they're like, but we got this other stuff to do. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only time to do that is now. So plan, plan, plan. Get out ahead. Be thoughtful about it. Makes a lot of sense. We're getting close to conclusion now. Thanks again for joining, Pat. I always like to conclude by giving guests the platform to say whatever you think makes sense. Some takeaways, perhaps, for folks. What should folks take away from this conversation as they head back to their lives? So, actually, I'd like to end with throwing out a topic for you to think about that maybe might in future that I would love to hear explore. So we talked a lot about work and it's not anything I had planned here. But one of the things that I've noticed about New College is that a lot of a significant number of our alumni have gone on to be really successful entrepreneurs. And I can see why, because there's risk taking, independent studies, like curiosity, self-initiative and all of that. But it's so interesting to me that I think in the popular perception, we associate entrepreneurs either with people who didn't go to college, right? The people who are like too smart, they want to yeah. do their own thing and they went, or business people. And I want to claim the space of what's the role of liberal arts education and entrepreneurs? I just, I am fascinated by that topic. And I can surely send you some names of people who have been successful. There's a lot, and many of them do credit some piece of their liberal arts education of hard questions, even if it is about like, I don't know, the French Revolution or whatever it is. I just, that's a really interesting topic to me. But I I really, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And I encourage everybody, if you're interested in really an education that's going to have an impact in the world and you're, you want to be motivated by what makes you tick, come look at New College. It's a great place to be and it's a beautiful community. It's really wonderful. Awesome. Fantastic stuff from Dr. Patricia Oker, the president of New College, ncf.edu. Check it out. My alma mater, special place in my heart. And for our listeners, hopefully you got a lot out of this conversation. We'll include links to the topics we were talking about on the show notes for this episode. Thanks as always for listening. Please subscribe, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.